I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And breathe. Welcome back to another episode of the Front 3 Podcast, and I would imagine you can guess what we're here to talk about already. It's the shock exit of Spain, 2010 winners of the tournament against host Russia. Um, Joining me is easily one of the best people to break this down and and work out where it went wrong for Spain, where it went right for Russia, and everything in between. I'm joined by none other than Nico Morales. How are you doing, Nico? I'm really sad, you know. Uh, it's never nice to see the the country that you are emotionally attached to go out, and that was the case here. I felt like it was relatively undeserved, but I'm sure we'll get into that. But yeah, just generally, me and my mother, who I watched the game with, are, are pretty sad. So yeah. You talked about the emotional pull. I can imagine that's incredibly strong. As you said, you have quite a strong affinity with uh, Spain as a nation. I think you can talk to us from your first memories, being wearing a Raul jersey and, and seeing them play in person. When we look at things from slightly more of a, a tactical standpoint, I think the, the thing that stands out to me and what seemed most prevalent on Twitter was criticisms of the tactics, specifically what felt like possession for possession's sake. You're obviously someone that, that is very focused on the tactical side of things. Did you see frailties? Did you see issues that kind of jumped out to you and... and sort of stood out as being things that Spain needed to address quite quickly in the game? I don't... I, I, I guess I I think I understand the sentiment that a lot of those people are trying to get across. I think there was a general frustration, as there always is with Spain, um, to be more decisive, to be more direct, and not just to do those things. But I think from my perspective, at least, I didn't see any of that. I saw... I saw a team that was doing what they needed to do in order to try and break this Russian team down without overly exposing themselves, and th- I think this is more true in the first half than the second, but overly exposing themselves to the tactics that Russia were trying to employ. So I can understand the calls for, you know, I heard Ali Wagner, who was the um, the Fox commentator, uh, she said, you know, Spain need to pick up the tempo and they need to do this. And she was calling for them to be a little bit more direct. And like I said, I can understand this, the, the calls for that. But from my perspective, from the way that I saw Spain playing, I think you have to, as I kind of outlined in the article that I did for The Ringer about, you know, the impossibility of being a favorite at the World Cup. When those teams have to break down a, a tough defensive system, it's it's like I liken it to a very complex mathematical problem. Like Spain are out here doing you know theoretical physics, whereas Russia, in order for them to succeed, it's two plus two. All they have to do is be lucky in a direct counterattacking situation. So the the approach is different, and I think that's maybe sometimes what people fail to understand is that. You have to move the opposition. You have to play those maybe more simple sideways passes to invoke a response. Just because you have the ball doesn't mean that you're the one that 
is necessarily inciting the change within the game. They wanted Russia to con- come on to them, so the certain bounce passes that they get back from the midfielders, those are the kind of actions that incite a quick response from Russia. And you have to be very technically gifted to be able to expose those little gaps in space. So I think for me, I, I think they, for the most part, they did everything that they could do in relation to the expectation that they had both from a narrative perspective and tactically in order to break that Russia team down. I think there are other questions as to the Russian doping and, and other things like that that we can get in, get more into. But yeah, I think I'm largely satisfied with the, the performance that I saw. Well, one man who saw things up close and personal was none other than our roving reporter, Elliot Hackney. And now in a feat of audio mastery, I'm going to throw from myself to myself for the conversation I had with Elliot earlier on in the wake of the game. This is England. They believe that they can win it. I don't want the party to end. Elliot, first and foremost, mate, how was the game? Uh, it was okay at first, but then, you know, going into the second half, uh, it got really, really dire. I mean, I was there watching the game with uh, Spencer of Hashtag United, who got me the tickets. Uh, and we'd both been out the night before, and we were literally falling asleep in the second half. It was all sideways from Spain. And when we when they announced that there was going to be extra time, we were like, oh, God, we don't even want another 30 minutes of this. But but as we both know, it soon livened up when the penalty started. How did, how did the Spanish side of the crowd sort of go with things because you spot on when you say it felt like a slow quite laborious game lots of sideways passes did did the crowd try and do anything to sort of get the Spanish team back into things and get them a bit of tempo well the majority of it was Russian fans and there was continuous boos when Spain had a you know a, a big amount of possession and that happened quite often um, but with the tickets that Spencer had got he'd got them from uh, Aspilicetta of Chelsea we were surrounded by all the Spanish wags and girlfriends and David De Gea's girlfriend was two rows behind us and uh, they were not happy yeah they were not not happy um, and okay and what about the, the Russian fans because you know we've already talked about you and I the the perception of the country the danger you've done some really good stuff on your channel about changing that perception about what the truth actually has been for your experience in Russia what was the atmosphere like from that perspective? Do you think that could be an important game changer for this Russia side? Because it's not a quality laden side, this Russia team. But with that backing, it maybe could change things a little bit for them? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the city's gone absolutely mental tonight. I mean, I, I, you can't turn a, a street corner without a car going past with either someone out hanging out the window with a Russia flag or, you know, just seeing and, he, and hearing them shout Russia. I, I've continuously got Russia in my head because it's non-stop, been non-stop since the game today. But yeah, the mood can really, you know, really, really help. And, you know, the, the Russian fans were out in the droves at the game and they were cheering every single save, um, tackle, everything as if it were a goal. So yeah, the, the, the city's gone mental tonight and there's no doubt that that will help, uh, help Spear on the side. And looking forward for the rest of the tournament, obviously, everyone back home has been very much shouting that it's coming home now and that England have got this amazing chance, arguably the best since Italia 90, to, to make a World Cup final with the potential run-in that they could have if they can beat Colombia on Tuesday. How are you seeing that side of the, th- the bracket kind of fall out? Because obviously Croatia managed to get themselves through 
uh, later on with a dramatic penalty shout. Are you confident that, that this England side can can make that progress, that really this is their opportunity to make it to a final? 100%. I mean, if you look at all the other teams on this, our side of the draw, I, 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 without my rose-tinted glasses on, I seriously think England are the best side there. And I think if we aren't gonna, if we don't make the final or the semis, it's going to be our own own undoing because we, with the quality we've got and the quality that we've already shown, I believe that we should be making the semis minimum. Um, I think this is our best chance ever, and if we don't do it now, then I don't know when we're going to do it. Oof, prophetic. One one final question for you, mate. Spain, two thousand eight. You could argue is the start of their dominance. They take the Euros. They take the World Cup. They then take the Euros again. 2014 was a nightmare for them. 2018 has been arguably just as bad in, in certain ways, if not from a performance standpoint, just from a preparation. Do you expect now this this change from them, at least from an identity standpoint, or do you expect to, to be in Qatar in 2022 seeing this same kind of possession-based style from Spain and, and them to carry on with things as they are? Um, for me, I, I think they need to develop and change you know the 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 team seemed very mismatched today i mean the thing that stuck out to me was diego costa was up front and we all know what he's best at and that's you know balls coming into the box headers and crosses and that just wasn't happening and he was so isolated and left double apart from the rest of the team and for he would have been perfect in those closing stages if they were to play that way when they took him off he continued to try and play the uh, passing possession football side to side no real threat, no real end product, and for me, I think they've got to change if they want to, you know, if they want to keep up with the pace and you know do well in these competitions. Well, someone who doesn't need to change is your good self. If the listeners want to hear more from you, see more from you, where's the best place to find themselves? A little slice of Hackney. Uh, Elliot Hackney, two L's, one T. Hackney like the place, uh, and either on YouTube, Twitter, or Instagram. But I'd say YouTube. Go check out the vlogs, especially of that Spain game, because there's some of the reactions that I've got um, after the penalty was saved are incredible. Scenes as scenes as they say it. I can only endorse that even further. Well, Elliot, thanks very much for your time, mate. Have a good time at the rest of the tournament. Cheers, Chris. There we have it, the inside track from our man inside the stadium, Elliot Hackney. In the other corner, Spain made just over 1,100 passes in the 120 minutes. That is confirmed as a new official world record. Um, you talked about Ali Wagner. Sesc Fabregas, who was doing BBC punditry, says it's time for Spain to cut out the tiki-taka, that for him there was a lack of threat. With what you've said, you've obviously covered that in, in great detail for us there. There was at the same time a slight concern about the connection between the Spanish midfield and Diego Costa. And, and you and I were WhatsApping at the time and... and kind of talked about the need for Iago Aspas to come in. We we maybe it might seem harsh to attribute a responsibility or a blame, but when it comes to Costa, we saw him very uh, influential against Portugal, but here he very much felt like a pariah for for large periods of this game. Is that for you is that an issue with him and the fit of the team? Is that something that falls on Hierro and something that he needed to work on? Or is it as simple as they just can't play with that kind of striker because, in in fairness, this is not a new issue. I think for for the Spanish national team, we've seen Diego Costa and the midfield struggle to gel before, and him struggle to to be that that sort of goal scoring forward that we often see at, at club level. No, yeah, I think it's um, 
it's sort of the former of what you talked about. If you have, which none of you do, but if you had access to my email account, you would have seen I sent out a pitch right after the Portugal game um, to certain people that kind of outlined that even though he had scored a couple goals and even in the matches preceding that, he continued to be prominent in those games. Um, even though he he's at the surface level was relatively successful this time around at this World Cup with the Spanish national team. For me, it was still a point of major concern as to his performances because of the lack of connectivity that they saw. I think sometimes when you have when you're playing in Iran or a, perhaps even in Morocco or something like that, and you have a little bit more space, you have a little bit more ability to play into the strengths of someone like Diego Costa. I think playing him is fine, but. Like I said, when you have to break down these more complex defenses, playing a, a striker or someone that's going to occupy that forward space, at least centrally, who can link up with the midfielders a little bit better, I think is a far better advantage in terms of completing the attacks because then the, the transition shifts from, you know, you when you play with a striker like Diego Costa, I think your end goal is to imagine that the, the, the end of your move, the end of your passing play ends at his feet so that he can get a shot on goal because that's what you're trying to do. That's the purpose of playing someone like him. Whereas if you play a striker that is a little bit more pass-oriented, can link up with other players a little bit differently, it doesn't really matter who who ends up with the ball at their feet at the end of the play because you're going to probably end up closer to goal with a better chance at it. So it can end at the feet of a midfielder or Jordi Alba or an overlapping fullback or even a center back. So it's... For me, that was the concern, and I had that. I had that from day one, and I think the the fact that he was scoring kind of papered over that concern. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. And I think that this is probably where we're seeing one of the biggest changes from the, the pre-tournament furore over um, Lopetegui being sacked is that Diego Costa would not have played very much if Lopetegui was still in charge. It would have been, from the people I've spoken to in his experience, um, it would have been either Rodrigo or Iago Aspas. So I think that's probably one of the biggest things. And, you know, that has an adverse effect as to how they've gone out now. And then I kind of move my eyes to the middle of midfield. I looked at, at Koke, someone who I think is incredibly good for Atletico Madrid. He's a player I admire a lot. And yet it felt almost symptomatic to me a little bit of, of the Spanish material. There was lots of sideways passes and I looked at him specifically. And someone made a point on, on Twitter that I thought was was quite interesting in terms of debate, which was for everyone that dislikes Thiago, it felt as if almost Thiago was the kind of player they needed, someone who wanted to take a risky pass. And, and that's my curiosity here is that someone who understands these kind of things and, and the nuances of things, would it have been wise to put Thiago in there? Because if anything, I think Rodrigo looked like the change that really shifted them up a gear and gave them something they were missing. But could Thiago have had that influence as well? Yeah, I think he would have been the change maybe even from the start earlier on. 
um, that would have made the biggest difference because, as you're saying, you know, the riskier pass is probably an asset that they could have used, but also just the directness and similarity that he has to Isco. He's not the same player, but he has an affinity for maybe taking on players in midfield when certain players are isolated because, you know, Spain were pushing players forward. They had both fullbacks very highly elevated, especially once Carhaval came on for Nacho. So when you have the, the defensive formation a little bit more stretched like that, and then you can have both Isco, Thiago, David Silva on the field, and they all have the ability to take on one or two players in midfield, draw a defender, do this, that, and the other, then you have more options centrally, and that's generally what you want from a team that you know needs more penetration. So I think that would have been the move, and, and it's it's strange to me. I don't know if there was an issue with between him and uh, Hierro, but yeah, I think that's probably another one of the things that um, Lopetegui would have instituted far earlier in the competition is just the involvement of Tiago in general. So I definitely agree with, with the fact that his his ability, I think, was something that was needed in this game. Mm. And the last one I've kind of got for you on Spain is almost where next? You know, we've talked about the the, the tiki-taka generation. I know that these are probably buzzwords that are infuriating you internally, but I made a joke to you about comparing it to the Roman Empire and this kind of thing. What, where does Spain go next here, realistically? Because they still have... A tremendous wealth of talent in terms of the individuals, but it feels as if they're at, they're at an interesting crossroads here because they could potentially keep going with what they're doing, but it would seem, as you've written or, or written similar for the the ringer, that there is a changing dynamic in these tournaments that it's becoming more about puncher counter puncher and and can that be sustained for for Spain if they're gonna face teams like this who will will keep looking to sit deep and essentially suck the life out of the game. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because the immediate sort of, an not analogy, but comparison that we have for the failure of this Spanish team and the one in 2014. And, you know, they had an all right showing at Euro 2016, but I think people would have imagined that maybe they should have gone farther. But um, the, the, the first thing that you kind of think of is, okay, are they worse than what they used to be? You know, they used to dominate the international game so clearly. So are those players simply just not there anymore? And these, these ones that they have now, they're just not as good at implementing the same style. Or, and I think this is probably the more likely explanation, is that, you know, football has evolved a little bit. I think back then, since the possession style of football that was effectively balanced with a with a really solid counterpress that also served as it as its own you know form of chance creation was something that not a lot of people knew how to effectively combat you know they knew to sit deep but in terms of actually pressing at the right moments and being defensively capable in terms of like the four five one that kind of morphs between a, a six at the back almost and um you know having certain positions in midfield i think the 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 general footballing knowledge or or ability for teams to do that wasn't as known as it is now. So I think that's probably the more likely explanation is that this group of players is exceptional and Spain continues to be really, really good at perpetuating that style of possession football. The difficulty is, can they continue to do that when teams are simply better at combating that? And that's the question that they have to ask themselves because, you know, as even if it is as, you know, as easy as saying, okay, we don't want to do that anymore, they will still always have the expectation, whether it be as a nation or just with a group of players, to play in some sort of possession-dominant way. So I think, you know, I don't know if it requires really a, a, a top-down look at the entire organization. I think probably the fact that, 
you know, the, the coach was sacked three days before is something that's far more concerning um, than, than the actual result of them going out right after the group stages. But yeah, I think that's, that's kind of something that we can look at and say, you know, teams are better at combating this possession style. It's not as dominant as it once was. What can we do to maybe alter a little bit? Not, not a wholesale change, but just kind of change for the times maybe a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. Neither, neither of these teams came into the tournament perfectly, in inverted commas. Spain obviously lost their coach um, in sort of the, the days before. I think it was 24 hours, 40 hours before. Russia, I don't think you could move for pieces that were talking about how poor they were. There was discussion about this team not get, trying not to get embarrassed on home soil. I'm pretty sure I predicted them to finish bottom of their group, um, if not third at the highest, and even that feels like a push. And yet here they are, and I can almost, I feel, preempt what you would like to talk about with Russia, which is this doping that seems to hang over the team. Um, and I think you alluded to much as much on Twitter that, that there are impressive levels of stamina from these Russian players. Was from, there any from a from a team from a team? Yeah, I, I think one guy he responded to my comment and he said, you know, a thirty-nine-year-old played normal and extra time, and he looked fine. So I mean, is 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 there anything? If we, if we just sort of put that in a jar of, we'll get to that. Was there right. anything away from that that impressed you about Russia? Was there anything that you thought, you know what, actually, there's there's something to be admired in, in the way that they've conducted this game? Yeah, 100%. I think, regard like, like you said, putting it in a jar, irregardless of that situation, whatever the verdict may be, um, you know, there is still a tactical proficiency that you have to have in order to to stifle a team as good as Spain. I think there's a maybe misconception of thought that if you turn up and simply are defensive or have the mindset to be defensive, then, you know, you're going to stifle a team that looks to pass it like Spain do. But that's just not the case. You have to be a, you know, an acceptable professional team in terms of your spacing, your understanding of, you know, trying to minimize isolation on the team and stuff like that in order to stifle a team like Spain. That certainly was impressive. They always had pressure on the ball. They, They always kept a relatively compact defensive shape. They knew when they were getting stretched that's the thing is that you know you have to as a team who is trying to play defensively know when your defensive formation when your defensive spacing isn't efficient anymore if Spain are passing the ball backwards when they're going all the way back to De Gea or back to their center backs there's a certain point where you know okay we need to start pushing putting pressure on the ball because if they'll have an option somewhere because it's just we're not tight enough anymore we just can't be tight enough at this at this juncture and they knew that they understood certain parts where certain parts of the game where they had they clearly understood that dynamic the difficulty for me is like i said in the latter stages of the game where things were a little bit more haywire where things were a little bit more back and forth they appeared (laughs) in the bias of opinion of a spanish fan to have some sort of biological advantage so Moving forward with them in the tournament, Russia, I think Golovin is, is largely seen as the star man, although Zuba is clearly the comedic relief, if nothing else. Um, how do you see the rest of the tournament progressing for them? Because we look at the group of teams that are left, who will who they will potentially face. Obviously, Croatia, Denmark is still to be decided. Croatia or Denmark, that's a largely different proposition to, to Spain. Can they essentially replicate this performance not in terms of quality but in terms of style again and again or is, or is that going to be more difficult for them because obviously the 
the level of expectation or the the gulf that you talked about i think with that piece in the, for the ringer about spain and what have you that kind of levels itself out and it almost becomes harder to be the underdog i think they'll still be the underdog regardless of the team that they go up against i think the least favorable um tie and like you're saying we'll probably cover it in this same podcast just a little bit later but the the least favorable um opponent i think they could face is probably denmark i can't imagine they're going through against croatia but we'll see um but yeah i think if croatia were to go through which is who i imagine it will be i think that'll probably be an easier one because they can yet again be more defensive and i i don't think croatia are as good as spain at, at perpetuating that like fully offensive let's hit them and just batten you know batten down the hatches against a team or have a play against a team that is doing that so i think they'll they could even be more successful in that regard so now the path for them to dare i say it the final or something like that is even i think a little bit clearer if they continue to face teams that just have to possess against them so that's the difficulty there for them is that i don't, I don't know if it gets that much harder and I couldn't let you just depart the scene without at least putting you on the spot once. Of the teams that are left now, obviously uh, the time of recording, uh, Croatia Denmark is yet to be decided. Obviously, who do you think makes this this final? And I know you are a firm believer that football could indeed be coming home. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's all about it's all about the the luck sometimes of the draw, and or not really the draw anymore, but sort of the, the path that you take. England has taken the, the more favorable one, which is the, I think is a good thing. I think the, the talk of momentum is something that I massively do not buy into. So I think that the path that they're taking is a good one if they can get past Colombia. That being said, Colombia are no slouches. Um, but at the same time, I've, I've, I've heavily favored. And I, the only doubt that I, I had for them was, um, was, was in fact the, the team that they played yesterday, Argentina. So France is definitely one of my favorites, and, and Brazil is still up there for me. But it's Uruguay, let me tell you, it's going to be a tough game because, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that on a, on a preview podcast or something like that. But, yeah, I think, I think France or Brazil is kind of where my winners lie. Perfect. There we have it. Let us know what you think, though. You can obviously reach us on the Twitter account at the front three. Um, you can tweet myself at khenage or Miss Moran. I believe you've just gone under a Twitter rebrand. Is that correct? Well, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't like the underscore. I've never liked it. So, and N Morales is taken. Every variation of some some form of my name without an underscore is taken. So I just did N of Morales because my middle name's Ophelio. So it's O F. But like, I don't know. I might change it. But right now, you can always find me uh, at. At the Front 3 Twitter account, you can just click my work there, my profile. Ah, there you go. Well, this has been us. You've been you. Until next time, enjoy your football. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.